Let's express our dependence. Let's ask for the help we need. Let's pray. Great God and Heavenly Father, thank you for this word that you speak. Please do speak to us. Please do work in us by your Spirit as we hear you speak it. In the Lord Jesus. Amen. Last week, God challenged us to life on mission. Uh, Not just living good lives, but living as witnesses to Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection. Living as proclaimers of repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. The other words challenged us about it as a matter of obedience to Jesus. You'll all have felt the weight of that. Good willing, Wes Regin uh, will visit us another time and we'll hear the other half of his series uh, from the Jesus' words towards the end of Luke's Gospel. Uh, next time the focus will be on how God enables his people for mission. Uh, other Wes plans uh, to uh, talk about the Spirit's work. The Spirit's work bringing men, women, and children to firm faith, enabling them to participate in Christ's mission as witnesses to Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection, as proclaimers of repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And working through that uh, witness and proclamation to bring others to trust Jesus too. Uh, Within that framework and the other ways calling in sick last night, uh, I thought it would be good for us to soak in uh, this chapter from 1 Thessalonians. Because part of our problem is knowing how to be witnesses and proclaimers. Is it possible to share the gospel when you don't have all the answers? Is it possible to share the gospel when you don't have all the answers. Now, this letter written to young Christians is a big help. The Apostle Paul wrote to them uh, less than 20 years after Jesus suffered, died, and rose. Uh, Paul wrote from Corinth uh, in the south of Greece uh, to men, women, and children in uh, Thessalonica in the north of Greece. Uh, He'd been there along with Salvanus and Timothy, hence their mention in verse 1, that that preached the gospel, but they were forced to flee for their lives. Paul tried to go back, but he couldn't get back, so he wound up sending Timothy from Athens. And when Timothy caught up with Paul in Corinth and told him the news about the Thessalonian believers, Paul sent this letter to the Christian men, women, and children in Thessalonica. From what we can tell, that's less than 12 months after he was first arrived into Thessalonica. They're new Christians. They're very new Christians. But they're true Christians. A big part of why uh, Paul writes chapter 1 is to clear up any confusion about what a true Christian is. Who is a true Christian? What is a true Christian? Who isn't a true Christian? This chapter is important for everybody because it speaks about that. It's important for Christians to know that they are Christian, 
It's important for those who aren't yet Christian to know that they're not yet Christian. Yet. And it's important for us to know how God works. Right from verse 1, it's obvious that Paul thinks that God has been at work in the city of Thessalonica. Uh, These are men, women, and children who gather as church uh, in that city, and they are, he says, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who they are has changed. Their status has changed. The defining reality about them and their lives has changed. Who they are is now tied up in God the Father. Who they are is now tied up in his Son, the exalted Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's true for them because they began to and are continuing to respond to God in faith, love, and hope. See in verse 3, uh, Paul has heard and remembers before God their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the inner realities have external evidences. Faith works, love labors, hope endures. The overflow of their faith, uh, trust and confidence in God as their rescuer and ruler is a life of work and service. Faith is acting as if something is true because you're convinced it is. So true faith works. It hears what God says about himself, his son, about ourselves, about one another, about, about, about people we live among, and trusting his words reorients and redirects everything. It changes how we think and feel and speak and act, how we invest our time and talents and treasure. God's people are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. But because of what faith is, faith that saves is never alone. It's been convinced of realities comes out into life. Faith works. Love labors. Uh, The words work and labor, uh, they mean much the same thing. Uh, And verse 3, Paul is saying that their faith-driven work is also love-motivated labor. They did what they did because they trusted God who speaks, but they also did it because of love. Love for God and his Son who suffered for them. Uh, love uh, formed and fueled by by God's love for them so that they love one another and everyone else driving what they do. If they live for themselves in the past, they no longer live for themselves because their love for God, their love for one another, their love for everyone else means they labor to please God who saved them And they labor to be a blessing to one another and everyone else. Faith works. Love labors. Hope endures. See, their beliefs and behavior brought passionate opposition from unbelieving Thessalonians. The sort of passion uh, that threatened Paul's life when he was in Thessalonica speaking about Jesus. And then when he moved on and was 70 kilometers walk away, they sent a team to try and stop him preaching down in Berea later on. 
The believers in Thessalonica suffered, but they were steadfast. They endured. And it was their hope that kept them going. Now, when you hear the word hope in the Bible, uh, it's almost always being used to talk about confident expectation. Hope, confident expectation. Yeah, there's no maybe. I uh, see, maybe doesn't get used to be steadfast under suffering. Bible hope is confident expectation. It's confidence because it trusts God to do what he promised. Yeah? It's confident expectation because it's trusting God to do what God promised he would do. That Jesus will come. That God will judge. That Jesus will bring his people safely home. And that confident expectation kept these men, women, and children steadfast, enduring, when saying and standing as Christian cost them everything. So as Timothy updated Paul about that, about these men, women, and children who are still marked by faith that works, love that labors, and hope that endures, Paul finds himself remembering them every time. Sorry, Paul finds himself remembering them before our God and Father. He mentions them. You can imagine what he'd say about them. God in heaven, look at these guys. They are great. Have you seen how clear they are? Have you seen their faith, their love, their hope? They've really got it. They're working, they're laboring, they're enduring. They are truly awesome followers of Jesus. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? It'd be weird because faith, love, and hope are God's work. Which is why we hear Paul thanking God, talking about his thanks to God in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you, then continue verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does Paul thank God for their attitudes and actions? Because their faith that works, their love that labors, their hope that endures are God's work in them. Paul thanks God for what God did. He gives credit where credit is due. Now, I think that's clear enough in verses 2 and 3, but it's even clearer when you read down verses 4 and 5. five. He says, I give thanks to God for you because, verse 4, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You see that? Paul thanks God because he sees their lives and he knows God chose them. God loved them. God is working in them. You see how he knows that God chose them? It's because of what happened when they heard the gospel. You see, lots of people in Thessalonica heard the gospel. God worked in the ones he chose and loved. To them, the gospel came, verse 5, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. See, now, it did come as words. Everyone who heard it, it came as words. 
Those who believed later, those who didn't believe later, it came as words. They heard the same words. God saves through his word declared, spoken. Salvation is taught, it's not caught. God saves people by, as the gospel was and is, spoken by people like you and me. He causes his gospel to come in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. Full conviction just means complete certainty. It's like confidence. Now, now we're talking here about here, we're not talking, we're not in the realm of miracle crusades and weird experiences. Power does not mean strange stuff. Uh, The Holy Spirit is not the somewhat oddball member of the Trinity. It's not what he's talking about. See, what they experienced is what Paul's just been talking about. They experienced faith, trust, confidence in the word that God spoke. And as they thought, the confidence in God's word uh, worked on their conscience, will, and passions, and it bore fruit in their lives. Faith working, love laboring, hope enduring. Wherever you see men, women, and children whose faith, love, and hope are working and laboring and enduring, you are seeing the powerful work of God by his Holy Spirit. And Paul knows it. He saw it when he was there. He's heard it from Timothy. And that's why he's been thanking God for God's work in people God chose. I've used that word choose a few times. Uh, this is what the Bible is talking about uh, when, you, when you hear words like election. Uh, it's what theologians are talking about when they use words like predestination. It's saying God takes the initiative. God saves sinners. Now, I've known people who use predestination as a weapon for intellectual blood sport. Uh, I think in my late teens, early 20s, I maybe was a person who used predestination as a weapon for intellectual blood sport. But that's not what it's for. It never comes up as a weapon in the Bible. It comes up in this sort of context as a reason to think Thank God. As a reason to act with confidence that He is in control. See, it's for our prayers, it's for our praise and thanks. Hardly anyone will argue when it comes to prayer. It's our instincts when friends begin to trust Jesus. It would feel very odd to say, Give yourself a pat on the back. You've done very well. It feels perfect. It fits perfectly to say, I'm grateful to God. It feels perfect to say, we're at at home on our own, to speak to God and thank Him for what He has done. It's a great instinct to develop, um, not just when someone becomes Christian, but when you're praying for people who are Christian, to thank God for His work in them. Maybe that's already how you pray. Maybe not. If it's not kind of part of your pattern, 
Now, it's a good thing just to have the habit when you're praying, whether it's for other sojourners, for mission partners, for Christians you know are under traps, uh, to thank God for, way, for the, his work in them. I mentioned a few other implications of this. Uh, if you're a Christian, I think understanding that God chooses and saves, well, it kills pride that might look down on non-Christians and think, well done me. <laughs> I'm smarter and wiser. I was more open to the truth. That's why I believe and others don't. Actually, no, the difference is not your smarts, your wisdom, your willingness to learn. The difference is God. So if you're trusting God, thank him for what he did in you, for what he is doing in you. Now, if you're curious but not yet committed, I think it's also important to say don't despair. Uh, Don't blame God if you don't trust, uh, and don't wait for a mysterious or mystical experience. God works through the minds he gave us. He doesn't work in spite of our minds. God's message comes as words. Words we can weigh and consider. Words we can investigate to see if, if they're true. To, to consider, are they good? So hear God's words. Hear God's invitation. And know that if you do come, it will be because God brings you. And thank him. Knowing God chooses and saves helps us give credit where credit is due, but it also helps us keep witnessing and proclaiming. It's part of what kept Paul preaching. See, he knew when he turned up in Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth, he knew that in God's mercy, those who God God chose would listen. So he prayed and spoke God's gospel. It is an, an enormous comfort to know that when I'm speaking to someone privately or publicly, God is the one who saves. Yeah? My job, your job, is to tell people the gospel and trust him to work through it. And because you know he is the one who turns hearts, you know that when you ask God to save people you're speaking the gospel to, you're asking someone who is able to save the people you're you're, uh, you're speaking the gospel to. So thank God for his work where you see it. Ask him to save. Ask him to do this, sa- this saving work in friends, in family, in colleagues, in strangers, in uh, people in Japan, in Eurasia, around the world. Let's read on the second half of verse 5. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake? And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Again, this is evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in them. This is one of the ways where uh, in Paul, in the Thessalonians, we see God's powerful work by his Spirit. The believers in Thessalonica came under pressure. I mentioned that before. You can imagine they didn't have it easy over that year. Uh, maybe lost jobs or clients, experienced those who were slaves experiencing severe treatment from their masters, 
or discrimination from their peers, physical threat, physical attacks. But as they came under that pressure, they endured. They endured in the same way they saw Paul endure. Verse 6, in the same way they saw the Lord Jesus, they heard that the Lord Jesus endured. They kept trusting God's promise. And knowing the promise, they endured it with joyful confidence and confident expectation that the day of deliverance would come. God has been at work in them. It's true. They're, they're true. They're genuine. And verse 7, they are examples to the believers all around Macedonia and Achaia. That's northern Greece and southern Greece. That's a big area, lots of people. And they're examples not just because if they were to go to see them, they'd see that they're good examples. It's how they've been heard about. Verses 10 to 8 uh, spell out how they're examples Their story told the gospel. Their story keeps spreading all around uh, Greece and even beyond. Christians and non-Christians are talking about the believers in Thessalonica. I love this uh, second, third, and fourth hand report kind of coming full circle uh, to the guy who spoke the gospel to the Thessalonians in the first place. These verses completely destroy the idea that normal Christianity is a private experience. These verses are a challenge. If you're a Christian, I expect that um, friends, family, colleagues, other kids, like, they, they know you're Christian. I wonder, how would they describe you? What do they think it means that you're a Christian? How would they describe you being a Christian to their friends? Maybe you could ask them. What would they say? I think the only way they'll say anything even close to what was said about the Thessalonian believers is if we've taken the filters off. If we say what we're thinking about Jesus in life if we explain our actions, if we tell our stories. It's really helpful to hear how the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians story, so we'll look at it. Uh, the story of these model Christians makes it fairly easy to work out what Paul's message was. So he says he barely needs to speak. Uh, I'll just read those verses again. Verse 8. Uh, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything, says the gospel preacher. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, their story is a story of their trust in God's gospel. Their story only makes sense when it's told alongside the message they believe. Verse 9, they've turned to God from idols. Their lives have changed. They've given up on serving themselves. They've given up on false gods, which, had, uh, had, which used to have first position but could not deliver. They've turned in trust and obedience 
to God who they now know and serve as the living and true God. To be a Christian is to give up on small, fading, failing gods and to turn to the living and true God in order to serve him. Giving him the place in our lives that he deserves, which is Lord of everything. (laughs) One of the stories we can tell our friends is the story of how we're turning from idols. Now, for most of us, I'm guessing, uh, metal and wooden idols uh, are, are a long way from our experience. But there are other things that promise to make life rich and full. We'd be gutted if we lost them. We feel a draw when we notice we're shaping our lives around them. Shaping our lives around getting wealth, success, a relationship, children, comfort, security, pleasure, prestige, a possession, a hobby. All sorts of things can get a hold on us so that they become the thing that everything else has to rotate around. It wants to be the thing that for us gives life meaning. It wants to be so important to you that if you lost it or lost all hope of getting it, you'd be thinking, what's the point of life? It wants to be your defining reality, the thing that everything else gets shaped around. Not a little statue. But we notice things, don't we, trying to get that position in our lives? When everything else is mentioned, but then, well, the thing is, (laughs) I need to... The thing is, those small gods fail. They're crushed under the weight of their own promises and our expectations. They cannot deliver. They will let us down. It is a wonderful freedom to put them in their place. It's a wonderful freedom to refuse to be driven and enslaved by things that cannot deliver what they promise. It is a wonderful freedom to instead serve the living and true God. And that's a story we can tell. The Thessalonian Christians have told uh, their story about how they are free from idols to serve the living and true God, and their stories have spread. But that's not all they talked about, and... It's not all that people said about them. Verse 10, people talked about them waiting for Jesus who delivers from the wrath to come. There are so many great truths about Jesus and God's rescue plan uh, packed into verse 10. We deserve God's wrath. Jesus died our death. (laughs) He's our deliverer. He is now in heaven. He will come back to judge. He will not judge his people He will take us safely home. I didn't see Jesus like that. Jesus who died and now lives in heaven. Jesus who is the victorious, exalted Lord and God of all. Jesus who will one day come to judge and deliver. 
When he returns, it will mean freedom from suffering and struggling and pain and shame and crying and dying. Most days, those are the problems that weigh on us. Those sort of things. And we can share stories about knowing uh, what Jesus will do then, how it helps us cope with those things that cause us to suffer and struggle. How trusting Jesus helps us face those experiences. We must also share stories that help people see that Jesus we're waiting for delivers from the coming wrath. Because that's the story that people told about these model believers. Part of their modeling for us is that they're the sort of people whose story has people saying they're waiting for Jesus who rescues from the wrath to come. The wrath that will come is the day of judgment. It's God's wrath. It's God's passionate justice. It's God's anger at the damage we do to ourselves and one another uh, and the world he's placed us in. It's God's passionate anger at the dishonor we do to him as our maker when we act as if we are our own best guides. God's people know they deserve that passionate justice, but they won't face it. Won't face it. Because Jesus, who died to save, has delivered them and will deliver them. He will bring them safely home. And people all around ancient Greece knew that the Thessalonian Christians were waiting for Jesus to deliver them from that wrath. Because they'd heard their story. And they told their story. Wouldn't it be brilliant if our lips and our lives told that story? Wouldn't it be excellent if the outcome of our lives was that our friends described us like that? said before, I think the only way they're going to get anything close to this is when we take the filters off, speak what we're thinking, explain our actions, deliberately tell this story. Mention a few things as I finish off. Perhaps one of the things that struck you today is how much of a hold something that is not God has on you. You, you realize that life really is resolving around it. Well, that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to take a long, hard look at the idol that claims to be a better master than the living, true God. And to see how weak and failing it is, to see how it will fade, to turn to the living and true God. Whether you're a follower of Jesus who uh, needs to recenter, or whether you're uh, been, you've been considering following and you're seeing more clearly that he is worthy, ask him to forgive you for acting as if something else is more worthy than him. And ask him to enable you to live Monday to Sunday serving and pleasing him. Perhaps mixed in there is the recognition that God is working in your life. You do see faith working, love laboring, hope enduring. 
Well, be encouraged. Be encouraged and thank God. Thank God who chose and saved you. Keep trusting through suffering. Keep turning from false and failing gods and keep waiting for Jesus who delivers from the wrath to come. And while you wait, tell your story. Stories about idols abandoned because they are false and fading. But not just abandoned because they're false and fading. Abandoned because you've seen something better. Stories about the goodness of serving the living and true God. Stories about the joy of knowing Jesus as the Lord who forgives and forgives and forgives and who will forgive you and who will bring you safely home. Tell the story of your head and heart and life shaped by the eternal realities God reveals in his gospel. Tell your story so that it helps friends work out what the gospel message is. So that when someone sits down to explain it, or when you sit down to explain it, well, they barely need any new words because <laughs> they've already worked it out from hearing your story. They've heard it from you. That's at least one way that we can share the gospel when we know we don't have all the answers. None of us do. Just tell your story. And tell it with the confidence that God is able to work through your words. Tell your story in prayerful dependence which calls on God to work by his spirit through his word. Let's do it with one another. Deliberately do it with one another. Look for ways to become friends with one another's friends, to spend time together, to enjoy relationships, and to let the gospel and the love of God and love for those who live under wrath shape the stories we tell. Let's pray. Our great and sovereign God who works all things according to your purpose. Thank you that in your kindness and mercy you chose to save. You gave your son. In his love he came and in obedience to you suffered to bring forgiveness. Thank you that he is raised and at your right hand and that his gospel is now being proclaimed to all nations. Father, please do grip us with the goodness of these things we've heard, uh, the goodness of turning from things that are false and fading to instead live with life centered on honoring and pleasing you and your Son. Of doing that as people who know that we don't need to prove ourselves to you, but rather get to serve Jesus as the one who forgives and forgives and forgives. Father, please help us when we're hanging out with our friends, uh, with family, with colleagues, 
neighbors. Help us to see the reality of where they stand without you. And Father, please may our faith, our trust in you, shape the words we want to speak. May our love for them, our desire for their good, shape the words we want to speak. Help us to tell our story in a way which makes the gospel plain. And please, as we hang out and do that among friends, uh, please do be at work. Please draw men, women, and children to yourself. Please give us the joy of seeing you do that. For their good and for your glory. Amen.